You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. You know, there's pivotal points in our lives. We've seen one today, haven't we? As we talk about this new CLC and the impact that that's gonna have on this school and on your education. There are other pivotal points, and I've seen them in my life, and we want to talk, I want to talk about a couple of those as illustrations. The, uh, as I mentioned, I went to Tenwick Hospital after I graduated from residency. I got there, the hospital had occupancy with two to three patients in a bed, family members sleeping on the floor. I remember one day we had 481 patients in our 130-bed hospital. There were only three doctors and six trained nurses trying to take care of all those people. We had all sorts of issues. Half the patients in the hospital were there with preventable diseases. Half of the deaths were preventable diseases. But one of the biggest problems was we didn't have 24-hour electricity. It came from this generator, the 11 hours we had every day. And people died all the time due to lack of electricity. There were kerosene lamps in the wards at night. I'd come in to do rounds, there'd be a lump in the bed, and somebody had died at night under a blanket. Nobody even knew it. But below the hospital was a 42-foot waterfall. In fact, the hospital had been placed there with the goal of someday having a hydroelectric plant. There had been two attempts, and both of them failed. After our first term, we came home for our home assignment. We're living here in Wilmore. As I left, Dr. Sturey, the founder of the hospital and an Asbury grad, uh, he said to me, why don't you put together this hydro project when you get home? I just started laughing because I, I knew nothing about hydro. How in the world could I do something? We'd been home two weeks, and one morning, the doorbell rang at 7 a.m. I thought, who in the world could be there at this time of the day? I went and opened the door, and it was Marilyn Kinlaw. She was the daughter-in-law of one of the presidents of Asbury. Her husband was a physician. I'd encouraged them to go to Tenwick and do a rotation during his residency. I said, Marilyn, what are you doing at my door? She kind of smiled. She said, God told me to come over here and tell you something. She had a baby on her hip, and I thought, well, okay, come in, <laughs> have a cup of coffee, you know? She said, no, 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 I gotta get back to the rest of the kids, but he told me to tell you that there's an engineer in town from HCGB down in Ecuador, and I think they built a hydroelectric project, and you should go talk to him. <laughs> Is that a God thing or what? Two years later, that's what happened. It had been finished, 320 kilowatt hydroelectric plant, people coming from Australia, Canada, the U.S., uh, U.K. to come and help us with the expertise, local labor, and that was the pivotal point in the hospital. Today, CMDA is moving towards 500 beds and has a cardiovascular residency. No other mission hospital in the whole country has that. It's the most well-known, well-equipped, bright light for God in that country, a pivotal point. When I started the Christian Medical and Dental Associations, we had a lot of financial issues, personnel issues. The ministry was waning. And I was trying to turn the thing around, but we didn't have any funds to do it with. Two weeks after I came on board, I came up to Eastern Tennessee to the Tri-City Airport. I was going to do a speaking engagement I agreed to before I came on at CMDA. I had taken a guy with me when I was at Samaritan's Purse to Tanzania and Kenya, become friends with their family, and they had a thing called general injectable and vaccines. They had helped us with supplies and equipment. And uh, I heard they had bought a pharmaceutical company, so I started asking around. If I had some time, I thought I'd go by and say hello to Joe. 
And this was the building, King Pharmaceutical. He and his brother John, the president, showed me around the building. In the midst of that, I said to them, wow, man, who knows what God's going to do with you guys? I said, we just put a desk in the hallway for an assistant in our little 6,000-square-foot office down in Dallas, but you've got room to grow. I was just making small talk. Fifteen minutes later, we're down in his office. He turns to me and says, uh, Dave, why don't you just move the whole organization up here? I'll give you a floor, 24,000 square feet. Won't cost you anything. We'll, well, we'll charge you $1,200, but we'll cover all your utilities at $1,200 a month, and we'll cover your utilities and your cleaning and your maintenance, and we paid more than that in electricity. One year later, we moved there. We grew like crazy because we didn't have that overhead. We grew so fast that five years later, we built a 52,000-square-built building and moved into new offices because God had grown the ministry so much. A pivotal point. Let's look back in God's Word. If you've got your Bibles on your phone or the old-fashioned way, look at Exodus 4, 1 through 5. It's a familiar story. We go back to Exodus 3, and you see that Moses is in front of that burning bush. He's taken off his shoes on the holy ground, and God has been talking to him and telling him he wants to go to you, to Egypt, and wants him to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Moses had every excuse you could think of. But Moses said in Exodus 3.11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. He still wasn't satisfied. Exodus 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, I'm slow of speech and tongue. I don't know if he had a lisp or he stuttered or he'd just forgotten how to speak Egyptian, but he was scared that he wasn't going to be able to communicate very well. And God said, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. He wasn't finished yet. He, the Lord said, well, what if they do not believe me? I mean, Moses said, if the Lord do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. And then God turned to him and asked him a question and gave him two commands. He said this, what is in your hand? Moses is standing there, like in this picture, holding his staff. And he turns to him and said, well, you know, I, I, I have my staff in the hand. It wasn't anything special. It was a shepherd's staff. It was a stick to ward off predators. It was something to lean on while he was watching the sheep. It was used to herd the sheep, to guide them if they were about to fall off the edge of a cliff or something. And it was just a walking stick. It was nothing special. You know, Moses used to have a gold scepter. He had power. He was a prince in Egypt. And he'd gone from wealth and poverty and had nothing but a wooden stick. How low can you go? And God said to him, well, throw that on the ground. And Moses did. He released control of it. He, he gave it up, not knowing what God would do with it. He obeyed, and it became a snake. And it says in 4.3, Moses threw it on the ground, it became a snake, and he ran from it. This is a wise man. He knew this was a poisonous snake. He lived out there. You know, sometimes when you do what God says, you can face a snake of a problem. You ever had that happen in your life? You're following Christ? I remember when we first got to Kenya, 
working there at the hospital, our local member of parliament, for some reason, hated the hospital. He did everything he could to destroy it. In fact, he became the minister of security for the whole country of Kenya. And when he did that, he sent in the CID, like our FBI, searched our houses, took my ham radio, took stuff from other people's house, accused us of hiding guns in the river and working for the CIA. He was a snake. I remember we began to pray, God, either remove him or change him. God did both. You know what? He got tongue cancer, the very organ of his body that had caused us so much problems. And on his deathbed, called the leaders of the hospital and the church and accepted Christ just before he died. Sometimes snakes God can turn around, and he did that with Moses because he said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Anything, you know anything about snakes? Is that where you grab a snake? You grab it right behind the head, especially a poisonous snake. And I'm sure Moses was scared to death. But you know what God was doing? He was causing him to begin to exercise his faith. You know how you strengthen your faith? You exercise it. Grabbing that snake by the tail was the first step for all the other things that God had in store that were going to take his faith. And when he did that, it turned back into a shepherd's staff. It was no longer an ordinary stick. It was an extraordinary one. God uses it in so many ways as you read through the rest of Moses' life. He brought down the plagues in Egypt with that stick. When he held it over the Red Sea, they parted. When he struck the rock, out came water when the people were dying of thirst. When he battled the Amalekites, Aaron and Hur helped him hold it above his head, and they won the battle. The point I want to make is this. Not only did Moses have a staff, so do you. What's in your hand? You have spiritual gifts that God has given you. You have resources. We heard about the Shahs, and they said, yes, God, help us make all this money, but it was his. And they gave their resources. That was in their hand, that staff to God. They have, you have relationships with people, contacts that God can use. You have skills and abilities. You have experiences. God doesn't waste anything. I remember I sold books door-to-door -door Southwest Company. It was hard work. I still have on my wall a certificate. I worked 75 hours a week selling Bibles door-to-door -door in Illinois. You know, God used that when I got to Kenya to set up our community health program where volunteers went through the community house by house, teaching better health practices, treating common diseases, sharing the gospel because the same things they used to motivate me as a salesman after my freshman year at Asbury were the same techniques I used to motivate all our volunteers to spread the gospel without, throughout Kenya. It gives you knowledge. You're gathering that every day here at Asbury. You have interest. You have passions. All these things are unique to you. It's what make you what you are. And so God's asking you, what's in your hand? I encourage you to make a list of that sometime. Jot it down in the fly leaf of your Bible or on a piece of paper in a notebook. I, I did that the other day. I have at least 12. One of them is leadership, which I didn't even realize that much until I, I got out into ministry. And God used every one of those, and he'll use every one of yours as well if you're willing to throw them down. God even... Uh, it does these things that uh, because we go to him and ask him what does he want to do with us what might it look if you throw it down you may think it's a useless wooden stick but god can use you wherever he takes you maybe it's business maybe it's a homemaker 
Maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a physician. I don't know what God's moving you into, but he has equipped you for it. It may not be what you ever thought to be. I thought I'd be a missionary doctor the rest of my life, and God had other plans. Looking back, I can so clearly see how he's preparing me for what he had for me. What if Marilyn Kenlaw hadn't come to the door? Where would Tinwick be today? What if John Gregory hadn't been generous with his resources and given CMDA a floor and helped us turn around an organization? God wants us to throw it down. You may say, well, I've got some reasons I can't do that, you know. I, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? I'm too young. I don't have the ability. I don't have the training. I'm not married yet. I can't trust God with my life. What, he might do something with me and I don't like. I threw it down at this altar right over there my freshman year, walked from there down to there at the beginning of the Asbury Revival and gave my whole life and everything I was to him. And I look back with amazement on what he's done. I've met presidents. I've debated congressmen at hearings at Congress. I fought against physician-assisted suicide. I've gone around the world in missions and taken relief teams into disaster zones, things I never imagined. But God said, I said, here am I. And God said, okay, I'll use you. God did things, and I had the privilege of being there. This verse in Philippians 2.6 kind of sums it up because Jesus threw it down for you. It says this, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He threw it down and it turned into a snake. He, he died, he was crucified. But three days later, he rose from the dead, and he's here with us now, and Jesus threw it down. The question is, are you and you and you and me can continue to throw it down for him? What do you have in your hand? Are you ready to give it to the Lord? That's my prayer this morning for you. This could be a pivotal point in your life.